You're listening to Baltimoreans, the home of the all-weather fan. My name is Sam Dingman. This is Alan Smith. Let's get stupid. Baltimoreans. Hello, Baltimoreans. How are y'all doing, folks? Uh, Alan Smith, notoriously even-keeled and generous man that he is, has just informed me that he has a, quote, bone to pick with possibly one of you. So buckle up. I would say it is very unlikely that my bone to pick with a random person on the Internet um, is a current Baltimoreans listener. Um, because <laughs> the general category of person um, is a person who uh, tweets out something along the lines of, Yes, the Baltimore Orioles are good now, but they lost for a bunch of years, and that is a permanent stain on their record, comma, slash, this is bad for baseball, slash, um, when you lose a whole bunch, you your your franchise um, uh, should should bear the moral weight of it. Oh, I am now mad at these at this person also. And I have two questions for this straw person out there in the world. Um one question is, uh, why, <laughs> if, well, why, no, why, <laughs> if, if you're so uh, uh, upset at the um, Orioles' uh, path to, I will say competence, right? Mm-hmm, path mm-hmm. to having a, a fairly loaded farm system and having an exciting team to look at. What's the other opportunity? What's the other way to build a a uh, successful championship contender. Mm-hmm. And why is that one better? Mm-hmm. Is it, in fact, morally um, more defensible to be the Dodgers or the Yankees in which you buy uh, talent that other teams have developed for exorbitantly large amounts of money and win because you have more cash? Or is it better to lose a whole bunch of games? I actually don't think either one has the moral um, upper or lower hand that the people on the internet who are saying that the Orioles should feel somehow bad for losing all of those games um, feels. But I wonder, Sam, do you, do you, is there any third path uh, that we should consider other than um, being bad for a while, drafting well, and then being good or purchasing good players? Well, outside of Royals Devil Magic circa 2014, I can't think of one that exists. Um, look, this person who, people who say such things are also like not paying attention to reality. I, I'm just going to assume that this person is a Yankees fan um, <laughs> because it feels like real Yankees fan thinking. Um, and you know the yankees fans have uh, the yankees have spent no end of money trying quote, quote unquote trying to compete quote unquote trying to field good teams great teams for decades and decades now and they have exactly one championship to show for it since 2009 so yes they have been competitive in a number of years where the orioles were not competitive but it's not that many years i mean this is the thing about the orioles like Yes, 2017 was very, very bad. 2018, 19 were very, very bad. 2020, 
I don't necessarily think there was anything uh, completely unreasonable. I mean, if, I, if memory serves, the Orioles had a couple of runs there where it was like, maybe they'll sneak into contention in this absurd and abruptly shortened season. So I think we can throw that one out. 2021, they were bad, but they weren't like unwatchably bad. There, there was stuff to be interested in and follow there. So we're talking about a handful of seasons in the years since 2012. I guess I'm just interested in the idea of there being sort of like a moral um, way in which the way that the Orioles built this team is morally bankrupt and bad for baseball whereas the ways that the Yankees or the Padres or the Dodgers constructed their roster or the Mets constructed their roster is um, not <laughs> yeah. uh, not morally bankrupt, not bad for baseball. I mean, it, it, it seems to me that like if you're a, if you're a baseball purist, right? Mm-hmm. If, you're a, if you're a historian and you care about numbers and you t- care about the, the, the fine old history of the game, you should be to my eye, more rooting for Adley and Gunner to have long careers in the black and orange where they are only Orioles for their entire meaningful baseball lives and that sort of like teams should be constructed through um, how they draft and maybe occasionally how they add a little bit of talent to push them over the top. That to me is the pure story of baseball as it is constructed. And as we love it, like collecting a group of high priced successful in other teams, veterans, even though it is not guaranteed to work Mets um, (laughs) does not seem to me to have any moral leg up. As a, as a, as a values, as a value statement. And it is fascinating to me that like, that, that, that there's like a, there's like a, uh, a perception anywhere out there in the world that like, that, uh, that the Orioles and the Orioles fans should suffer more. I mean, have we not suffered enough? We had to watch those teams. (laughs) Like we had to watch the losing team. We've already put our time in. (laughs) Right. Well, what is what is behind a comment like this? Right. It's the same thing that to me is behind the criticisms that you hear leveled at, you know, when people say um, when people say uh, socialized health care is immoral because it it gives people who don't work hard enough health care or i don't know whatever those people say like hmm. the, the argument hmm. often boils the down to like argument interesting you should have just had more money it it, mm. it to me is what is behind that argument you should have just had more money um because what what are these people asking for right they're asking i guess for the orioles front office in these seasons where we quote unquote tanked to have spread I don't even little... think you need to put that in quotes. I think we tanked. <laughs> sure, sure. 
But I guess what they're asking for is for the front office to have spread a little bit more stupid money around on a couple more medium to medium good players who would have made us lose 20 fewer games but still missed contention. But that is fundamentally not a way to a championship. Like we it's know not. what that we know what that middle tier if you don't bottom out and you don't spend a ton of money and you just sort of like hold in the middle we know what that looks like, and it's it is it is uh, uh, a hamster wheel of mediocrity. Yes, we are watching before our very eyes, Artie Moreno, like set the future of the Los Angeles Angels on fire by pushing in for a playoff berth for a, on a team that is what four games over five hundred with like two two barely two months left to play. That like they're not going to catch the Rangers, they are not going to catch the Astros. They Lucas Giolito, big, big, interesting season uh, series with Blue Jays this weekend, though. They do, they do, but the, the the idea that that is a World Series winning team is madness, and the bounty that could be had by letting somebody else rent Shohei Otani for like what memories is Shohei Otani going to give Angels fans that he hasn't already given them in the next two months that are worth more than hitting the reset button on a strategy that has failed for 20 years and that like there's only there's so obviously only one answer there and I haven't talked to any Angels fans about this but I think they would agree I just feel like so it is somehow morally better to doom the future of the Los Angeles Angels for a couple mo- months of future. I mean, and it's not, let's not put it all on the Angels. This is happening all around the league where these teams that are like, well, you know, we're four games under 500, but our run differential is pretty high. At, like, if you haven't put it together by this point in the season, it's not happening. And the thing that is of best service to the fans is to take the parts that you have to try to, like, reload and restock so that you can actually be good next year. And if if your reaction to that is like, well, what are those fans supposed to do? Watch a bad team for the rest of the season? They've been watching a bad team up until this point. They've been watching or a disappointing team up to this point. Like, what what's going to change? Wouldn't you rather have some more concrete notion of hope for the future than clinging to something that is like all but impossible. It, I, I, the argument just doesn't make any sense to me unless I think you view it as economic in nature and possibly racist. I will, I'm going to go there. I'm going to go there. There's a lot of people on the internet and in real life who, when you bring up Baltimore, they're like, Baltimore, they're like, ooh, scary place, bad place. I've seen The Wire. And I think that a lot of this, like, the Orioles are a shame, the Orioles are an embarrassment, they should have spent more money, boils down to this idiotic, like, ignorant perception that it is a poor city, a crime-ridden city, a mismanaged city where nobody knows how to do anything right. That's what I think. <laughs> but, and, and I think if you look back at, like, People, teams that made it to the World Series of late, right? Houston Astros. Um, Who cheated? A regular, a regular, you know, uh, finals participant. 
they cheated, but they also were they also tanked. Yeah, they tanked for a long time. They're they're the Astros tanked for a long time. The Phillies spent a lot of money. The Braves, eh, maybe maybe you could argue that the Braves organization, but they were bad for a while and they drafted really well. Uh, and then the Dodgers spent a lot of money. Yeah, the Red Sox spent a lot of money in 2018. Yeah. So it's like I, I th- there's no if I look back at every single matchup between now and say 2010 there's the Rays there's the um there's that Royals team that you mentioned um that's kind of what I see <laughs> as outliers to the rule of either you're bad for a while or you um and I guess you could say the Royals are bad for a while but it just it and then they they had a, a moment of, of capturing magic, but like the either you're bad for a while or you spend a bunch of money. And I don't think that there's any other team building strategy that you can um, point to that is successful. Yeah. So unless you want to, you know, say that the only thing that is morally acceptable is to be the Dodgers and the Yankees. then I, I think you've got a really weird, take on your hands. Yeah. And the only other thing I would add is I think the rebuild in Baltimore is working. I knock on wood as I say that because I still am not ready to believe fully. Um, But the the rebuild is working not just because of the tanking, but because the draft picks gained from tanking were smartly made. Well spent. Yeah. And then the infrastructural investment in the development pipeline was wisely applied. And the necessary changes in the front office around analytics were made so that we could capitalize on the raw talent gains we would realize from this tanking strategy. There had to be a, a like a it's a very holistic type of change that has to happen for something like this to work. And to Elias's great credit, at the moment at least, it seems like he has executed on that. And there are other organizations that uh, haven't been able to do that. Um, and there are other organizations that rely completely, like the Rays rely completely on something like that. The Dodgers, I think it's more of a mix. Like, yes, they have a seemingly almost unlimited budget to spend, but their player develop, they also routinely bring up really good prospects. And, you know, mm-hmm. in some ways, I think you could look at them and the Braves as like the pride of modern baseball in that sense, in that like they spend the money when they need to spend the money, but they are also just incessantly finding, cultivating, and promoting really, really good talent that they then spend the money to keep in the home whites. Um, yeah. And I don't think there's anything. Right. That's, that's the, that is the cliff that I feel the, this current Orioles team will um, either gain or lose me yeah. on, a, on a moral perspective is like, so we've done all this, we've suffered, we've lost all those games. Now we have the talent. Will you pay to keep the talent? Yeah. And I guess, I don't know. The, the other thing I would say all uh, here is maybe the the better dichotomy is not moral versus amoral, but smart versus dumb. You know, mm. like I think there are some like what the angels are doing is dumb. Like th- this is a dumb approach that they're taking. It's not going to be good for the long term viability 
of the franchise. I think if you were to ask any Oriole fan about the great sell-off of 2018, about the like tanking that was happening for a couple of years in a row, if you were to say, was that fun for you? No, none of us are going to sit here and say it was fun. Did we all know that it was in service of a more long-term vision? Yeah, we knew. And we knew that it was going to hurt for a little while. Mike Elias straight up told us that I, I feel like I'm really coming off as an Elias champion and defender here. <laughs> Elias Dan. But uh, like it, we were told this is going to be bumpy for a minute and we're just going to have to like white knuckle through it. There is a yeah. plan in place. You're just going to have to trust me. And at the back of our minds, I think we all knew that. It's not like we were under some delusion that, you know, this was supposed to be easy. Um, and we, you know, the question we had was like, is he as smart as he says he is so far? He's vindicated. Yeah. Pretty, pretty good. Pretty good track record so far. So Sam, let's go from the macro to the micro coming off of a very hard fought, but, uh, fundamentally disappointing series, I would say, uh, against the Phillies. Ugh. Um, and heading into a three-game series against the Yankees, which always, always, always gets all my ghosts out, and I just assume we're going to lose all three games, and uh, everything is going to go absolutely pear-shaped. Um, what are you thinking about the trade deadline as of right now, 4.03 p.m. on Friday, July 28th? Well, uh, this is nothing new from the last couple of weeks, but I would say uh, even more... It's even more true tonight than it has been for the last couple of weeks. There is a lot riding on this Grayson Rodriguez start because uh-huh. this is his third one since being called up again. The first start, he was solid uh, for five innings and then totally lost it. The second one, he was real good for five and two-thirds. The trend lines and the underlying indicators would seem to be in line with the fact that he's starting to figure out how to pitch. And he's got, as usual, one hell of a test on his hands tonight in facing Garrett Cole. But so that's why I say if he goes south abruptly tonight, I would tend to take that as a piece of evidence that he's still a good bit away from being able to harness the consistency that he's shown and dominance that he's shown flashes of. And we need to really lean into the idea of getting a really, really excellent starting pitcher at the trade deadline. If before the trade deadline, I should say, if he continues to improve on the general line of improvement that he's been on for these last couple of starts, I think I'm going to come out of this series feeling a little bit more like if we get a mid-tier starting pitcher, somebody whose talent level is, you know, somewhere north of Kyle Gibson, but maybe doesn't have to be even as good as Kyle Bradish has been, um, but is dependable, that would probably be enough. Um, I think the thing that I am feeling most panicked about is middle relief um mm-hmm. i i do it, it does seem like quite imperative that we get somebody who can be a long man um 
in a reliable and dependent way down the stretch. And um, with that, I think at a slightly lower level, like I am very concerned that uh, we're not going to get Cedric Mullins back um, in any meaningful way before middle of August, maybe September. And oh, really? I think we have extracted all possible value that was there to be extracted by Aaron Hicks. Good work, Mike, apparently my boyfriend, um, for doing that. Uh, but I think that was a real lightning in a bottle situation. And I'm not super confident that he's going to come back and resume his uh, rediscovered excellence. And that's putting a lot of pressure on Colton Kowser to like be the everyday center fielder, be the everyday center fielder, which like he doesn't seem to be quite ready to do, which is fine. I, you know, Adley wasn't ready when he came up. Gunner wasn't ready when he came up, but considering where we are in the pennant race right now, we need somebody who's ready. Um, and so Hmm. I like, I would really like to see us go for a Cody Bellinger, um, who could also take some, some games at first base. Um, so I, I think my, my priority list as it stands right now is, uh, rock solid middle reliever impact bat who can play center field and then starting pitcher who is, uh, Braddish esque. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. None of those seem like real, like reaches to me. Yeah. doesn't seem like you have so. to sort of burn too much stuff to get there. Um, do you think that there are any interesting pieces in the system that will be playing meaningful games for the Orioles in the rest of this season? Well, the thing I've been trying to figure out is I saw somewhere recently that they've been giving Jackson Holiday starts at second base which to me suggests that they are looking towards a future where it it seems like Gunnar Henderson is rapidly consolidating uh, his grip on the starting shortstop job. No. Or third base. No outrage here about that. Um, Yeah, and it's true. We could move him back to third base, but. I don't know. It 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 sort of se- like he could be playing third base now too. Um, so what that makes me think is that they view and and I've also noticed Jordan Westberg has not been getting a lot of starts, and I'm not sure what that's about. Um, and that all of that combined with the fact that Holiday is getting uh, reps at second base makes me think that they are potentially looking at a starting lineup next season where Henderson's your everyday shortstop and Holiday's your everyday second baseman. I don't know if that's true. But if it is, it makes me think... Uh, Holiday's obviously not going anywhere. So that makes me think that any number... Uh, any one of Urias, Frazier, or Westberg are being made available... Or Ortiz. Or Ortiz are being made available in trades um and i mean and probably mateo too although i don't know how much you're going to get back for mateo 
And and I would honestly I think we gotta cut cut bait on that one, man. I it's just too sad now. Yeah. It was a fun April. Yeah. And I'm happy for him to be, you know, a late inning defensive replacement and pinch runner. Like But he's not been defending, man. Yeah. That's true. I mean, like late inning defensive positioning, he I mean, they didn't give him an error in the Phillies game, but like Yeah. That's a that's a play you're gonna want your um your defensive replacement certainly to make. Yeah. I mean, I guess like, but what do you, what do you make of this interpretation? Right. Cause like that, that's the only explanation I can come up with for why Westberg is sitting on the bench so much. Like, is that they, they are wanting to preserve his viability as a trade candidate by either keeping or him they're healthy, keeping Frazier in the shop window or keeping Frazier in the shop window. Sure. 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 Um, and and Urias in the shop window as well. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess I think, um, like, I think Elias thinks he's really smart. Um, and I think he is really smart. But it seems to me like he maybe, um, you know, is putting some amount of pressure on Brandon Hyde to like let Adley work through his shit and let Gunner work through his shit and let his uh, highly touted picks have enough time to um, find their footing at the major league level. So it's a bit surprising to me that that has not seemed to be quite the case with uh, Kowser and Westberg, Um, which, you know, I would say uh, probably they are still a part of the long-term plan, especially Kowser. We don't have the outfield depth that we have in other places. Um, so it seems like you're the, that probably there's going to be a trade that moves somebody out in front of him um, and forces him to be kind of an everyday player. Although, I don't know, maybe you bring in a Bellinger and, and punt at this whole conversation until next season. Well, here's a question. Uh, would you trade Cedric Mullins to get, uh, to get something impactful done? Because it occurred to me, if we look at teams that are out of contention this year... Um, Getting Cedric Mullins, who may not, you know, be able to get back into the lineup, let's say, until mid-August, you're not going to get a huge impact from him this year. But he is a very good player. And let me just look up his contract status. Um, like, and if you if you genuinely view um, Kowser as... Cedric, not a free agent until 2026. So if you genuinely view Kowser as the center fielder of the future and you feel like his ceiling is ultimately higher than Cedric's, but Cedric is a, like a very solid major, everyday major league player when he's healthy who can play really great defense and hit for power, occasionally hit for average. I don't know. He, he strikes me as somebody who like could be a difference maker in putting together a package here that that brings us back something pretty substantial yeah but i i guess i don't see 
I think that someone who's sort of an established all-star like that, like or an established player like that, um, you really only sell if you're a seller. <laughs> I, I, I don't think you would sort of weaken the team that much. I mean, you know, this is the guy, this is a guy who is like, nailed in top three rotation every part of a of a playoff push um i don't think i don't think our i mean it'd have to be a pretty exceptional piece back yes to be clear i i think cedric is only involved in a trade package if it brings back a bellinger or if it brings back a i'll go pie in the sky and say juan soto um you know, I, it has to be somebody who so meaningfully replaces the production that you'd be losing. Um, the the thing I like about Bellinger, and including Cedric in a package like that, is if you bring in Bellinger, who is going to hit like 20 more home runs over the wall in right field at Oriole Park, can play and, and can play center field in the... Obviously, you're not going to be able to re-sign Bellinger over the long term next year, but you don't need to. Next year, the center field job definitively belongs to Colton Kowser, but it removes the pressure from Kowser to have to be a Bellinger-level player down the stretch and into the playoffs. I just don't... I mean, if I'm the Cubs, I think I would rather... This is going back to our previous discussion. I think I'd rather get a handful of prospects for Bellinger than I would uh, Cedric Mullins. Um, I, 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 I think that the timelines, I don't totally understand the club's, the club's plan, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're rebooting for next year. But the only reason why you trade for Mullins is if you're sort of saying, we want a high draft pick now, and we want to be good in 2024. And I think that's sort of like a weird, that's a, that's a, that's a tough needle to thread. I think you sort of, uh, would rather, if you're the Cubs, get three lottery tickets um, than you would someone like like Cedric Mullins. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I I'm I think I'm reading the Cubs' philosophy a little differently, and I think the Cubs thought they were going to contend this year. They haven't, mm-hmm. and it seems to me like Cedric Mullins is a piece that puts them in a position to win some games down the stretch this year. Um, and definitely is like a key part of their lineup for the next three seasons. Mm. Again, I don't want to see Cedric Mullins go, but yeah, yeah, Bellinger is the type of bat that makes our lineup terrifying the rest of the way. Would be so fun to watch him hit at Oriole Park, and I don't know that that not being a member of an MLB front office that that. It seems like Bellinger for Mullins is a, a swap that makes sense to me. Huh. Yeah, I, I think uh, my my guess is that Bellinger's only available if you get one of the, like, highly touted Orioles prospects. Sure, sure. In the, in the deal. Because you wouldn't give much more beyond Mullins, right? You give him something, but, like, it's Mullins plus a... They can have Kyle Stowers. Um, they could have Kyle Stowers. I'll give him sure. Kyle Stowers. We've been trying to trade Kyle Stowers on this podcast for months. <laughs> One Stowers slightly used. <laughs> slightly used. He's raking in AAA again, man. Listen, I've I've the song remains the same. 
It's true. Um, what would you like to see them do, Smith? Um, I'm I'm a little bit disappointed in the Angels for all the reasons that you mentioned, and also because they took the uh, arm that I was hoping we would go get. Um, I I had a lot of I I have I I know that it doesn't actually work like this, and I know that like that that people moving down slots isn't a real thing but i was hoping that we would go get uh uh goliata and that's his name no giolito giolito i don't know why i said and, that like a stereotypical uh character from super mario brothers <laughs> uh that giolito would then push one of our current starters into that dependable long relief role that you were mentioning yeah and that everyone would just sort of like ookie down and that maybe like grayson rodriguez this season is the like bridge pen guy mm-hmm. and next year is the starter. Um, and I, you know, I, I don't, um, I know that there are a lot of um, very smart baseball people who say that that can't necessarily happen, mm-hmm. that it's not the same, like just because they're talented arms doesn't mean that they can sort of plug and play in different positions in the room. You know, your starters are starter. And I, I get that, but that's what I, that's what I was hoping for. Yeah. And I don't necessarily think I see a similar um, secondary option there uh, as a, as a, another choice. I, I would be a little bit interested in Hader from um, uh, the Padres as a part of a sell-off. I think you can make a case there that like with some version of Cano and Fuji in the seventh inning, Hader in the eighth, and Bautista in the ninth, and all of a sudden you're oh, talking about terrifying. starters like like a six inning game, and yeah. uh, that's good. That's good for us. Then you just need Mike um, Bauman to pitch the sixth when necessary. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right, right. Uh, so you know that that to me would be exciting, and then also you could do some mix and match to give Bautista a little bit more of a of a um, of a of a blow, uh, so he's not having to pitch all the time and only when he pitches do we win, um, yeah. which is one of the takeaways from the Philadelphia series. Um, yeah, I, I don't. I think that the Cano f- first half of the season, I think the regression is real, and he's going to be a serviceable arm, but he's not going to be the thing that he was, which is a lockdown eighth inning guy. Yeah. Um, so we need to get something else in that space to me. Yeah. Um, I, I feel, I mean, shit i'd love cody bellinger just like the next guy but i feel less attached to the bats i think mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. um i think that cedric mullins will be i and i think that um a little bit less aaron hicks um apparently this o'hearn thing isn't going away so we'll just keep running that out and hoping for the best but i think that the that our our, our pre-designed ryan and ryan um uh in two Ryans in a trench coat, three Ryans in a trench coat plan for first base is, is totally serviceable. Mm -hmm. And that, um, you know, maybe, maybe just maybe we have the outfields that we need with, uh, Santander, Hayes, Mullins returning, Kowser and Hicks as like a, a vanishingly fifth option. Although O'Hearn can play outfield too, so yeah, who knows? Yeah, I can't help having visions of Mark Trumbo in the outfield when O'Hearn plays the outfield, but uh, that's probably not. Yeah, we don't. Fair. We don't want that to happen often. Yeah. Um, can I ask you? 
Are you at all concerned? So let me just make sure I'm getting this right. Uh, there was... I would be very excited about the Josh Hader phenomenon as well. I think that would be exciting both um, from a narrative standpoint because he was originally an Orioles prospect and... Yep, bring him back, baby. Obviously from a skill standpoint because he's really, really good. The only thing that gives me pause is he's got some taint on him from uh, some racist tweets that were discovered a few years ago. Oh. Um, Possibly some misogynistic tweets as well. Um, He apologized for them. Um, The only reason I'm bringing this up is because, as we have talked about, you know, one of the things that makes me the happiest about the Orioles of recent vintage is that those issues just never seem to crop up uh, with our team and... I just, it, it's one of those things that, like, you probably can't avoid it forever, and there certainly have been issues in the past, but in recent years, it's just been so refreshingly free of having to have those kinds of clouds over our fandom. Um, that said, I also know that there's been tons of reporting on what a, uh, how much damage it did to the Padres clubhouse when Hater, I'm sorry, the Brewers clubhouse when Hayter was traded to the Padres last year, which makes me think he's a really good teammate. Um, And so maybe uh, assuming that these old incidents uh, really were not a reflection of who he is, um, maybe, you know, maybe the the man he is today outweighs the, the man he was in the past. Hmm. I did not know that. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it's uh, like I'm just looking at this uh, USA Today piece from 2018 where he, you know, he said white power LOL. Uh, he wrote in quotes, I hate gay people. You know, uh, these are not great things. <laughs> these are not great things. They don't reflect my beliefs now. Yes. He says. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, that does that does kind of color it for me. Um, 17 is 17, right? Like, that's a... T- being 17 and uh, being tied to anything that I said at 17, I don't know. I didn't really tweet anything about white power or the KKK, and you wouldn't have found me... Um, making these particular jokes, but, um, I, I guess, I guess like you could, you could read the, the particular slew of the way he said those things. Um, you could read as someone just sort of pushing the envelope and being a dick, or you could read them as somebody who was actually exploring those ideas. And, those are two very different things. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. Like there are, there are for me, I mean, I guess also does, does any of that matter when my relationship to this person is like, whether or not I want them to succeed when they come into a baseball game in the ninth inning. Like, I guess I would rather always and forever, um, root for, uh, Richarlison over Lucas Mora. (laughs) 
which is the current um, decision on the Tottenham team. Uh, Lucas Mora being an outgoing Tottenham player who was very aligned with the far right Bolsonaro regime in his hometown of Brazil, a home country of Brazil, and Richarlison, the incoming new striker who has not been successful as successful, but um, his politics are very much in the right place, uh, <laughs> according to me. Um, you know, it, it does matter to me, and it does it does make a difference. And maybe there's somebody else who can throw the ball very hard that the Orioles could go get, and we don't need to futz around with Hater. I guess you know, if you're forcing me to rank him, I'd go Hater over Chapman. <laughs> oh yeah, I I mean, let me be <laughs> super clear. I would if the choice there is there is a real difference between dumbass tweets when you were 17 and like physically assaulting a human being as an adult those are different things what chapman did is way worse period um and you know there's definitely way more reason to believe that a kid who was 17 who put some dumb stuff on the internet has actually changed that said i don't want any stink on my Orioles love and it would it would yeah. put a little stink on on my Orioles love um on the other hand you know if he apologized and said that he's changed I also think we're at a moment in culture where we're getting a little bit better about again to be clear about things like this physically assaulting another person is different but for something like this where you like said something publicly that is idiotic and ignorant if you apologize for it you say that it's not who you are anymore and there haven't been any future incidents, I also do think we have to allow people to evolve um, because nobody is perfect and flawless. So I don't want to be too absolute in my statements about this. Yeah, and, you know, I think um, it, it, it is also um, far be it from two white guys with a baseball podcast to fully... Uh, uh, conceptualize and lean into the discussion of cancel culture, but um, <laughs> it does feel like the evolution from um, sort of a couple of years ago to now is one in which um, I, d I do think that one of the discussions that is starting to become palatable, especially for people who were sort of like who are reappearing after being me tooed. Um, it, it's sort of interesting to kind of figure out what is, how do we rank these things? What is your path to redemption? How does one prove um, um, contrition and yeah. growth? Um, and I think that would be sort of an interesting question to put to someone like Hater is like, so what, Aside from when you were called to the mat for tweets that you had forgotten you'd done, what else do you hold up as proof of growth and change? Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, that's also an, an interview question that uh, I don't get to ask. So Yeah, and I would hope that, you know, that there's been just a ton of, like a slew of positive reporting about the Orioles Clubhouse and about how fun yeah. it is and how supportive it is. I hope that, yeah. Positivity also includes a sense of accountability around these things and that if we did end up getting Josh Hader and somebody in the clubhouse was concerned, I would hope that somebody in the clubhouse would be concerned about 
these things that he wrote, that they would go up to him and say, like, hey, just so you know, like, we don't do that shit here. So I hope you were sincere in saying that's not you anymore because that's not us. I think that I think that the um, I think that it's interesting to uh, that that one of the sort of like fascinating um, distances that I've gotten from professional sports of late is the realization that many of the athletes that we are watching perform on the field are now closer to my daughter's age than mine. Yeah, <laughs> um, and. I think that that's a really interesting reflection on sort of like what I expect of them um, in terms of like their uh, values and, 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 and stance towards the world. Mm-hmm. Like, mm. like the idea of athletes as role models is something that is somewhat sunsetting for me personally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, like they're no, they are no longer my role models. Um, yeah. They are now kids who play a game that I care about, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it, I think that that is changing slightly, or I am recalibrating slightly what I then therefore hold them to. Um, but that's a different thing, right? So I, I don't necessarily expect kids who play a game to uh, that I like to be leaders but I do expect them to be decent people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, (laughs) Um, mm -hmm. And so I think it's an interesting thing of like, you know, who, who in the Orioles clubhouse would I expect to have that conversation with hater and like, uh, or, or would it be, Oh, it's definitely Kyle Gibson. For sure. It's Kyle Gibson. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. Or, you know, or, or, you know, the, 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 like the Trey Mancini's of, of yesteryear, right? Like people who seemed to have the, carry forward because of his own personal tragedy and because of maybe the empathy that that created in him towards other difficult situations, they seemed to be the moral compass of the team Mm -hmm. in a way that I really loved and like respected and could get behind. But I find that it's like, I no longer expect Adley Rutschman who seems to be a stand up dude. Like I'm not casting any aspersions here, but I no longer expect or need him to be a leader. I just need him to be decent. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we're maturing even if Josh Hader hasn't. <laughs> I think that he probably has. What the hell? Why not? Choose hope, right? <laughs> um, well, Smith, uh, as usual, you know, we've asked some hard questions this week. Um, but there's one that we haven't uh, asked or answered. So I will ask, but I, I, will, I will request that you answer. And the, the question is this. Um, what would you call former Orioles uh, prospect Henry Yerudia uh, if he was part of an infamous presidential ticket from, I believe, the uh, 1920s? And I will give you a hint. Um, no, don't. Okay, okay. <laughs> 1920s presidential tickets. Um, okay. Tell me this winning or losing. Um, let me see. All right. All right. All right. All right. Are we talking, are we talking, are we talking, um, Henry, uh, or Henry, uh, Coolridge Rudia? 
Coolidge Rudia? <laughs> well, I will tell you I was approximately, I just checked and I was approximately 100 years off. Um, <laughs> oh, okay, that's, I do need a hint. I do need a this hint. This is actually the, the presidential campaign of 1840. So, okay, so Silent Cal is not in the running. No, he is not in the running. And um, let me see here. Also, kind of a dick. <laughs> um, yes. Okay, I, I'm going to give you a hint. Uh, this the um, it was a winning campaign. Okay. Uh, and the winner was. <coughs> William Henry Harrison. And I'm telling you that because the campaign slogan did not involve William Henry Harrison's name. Is that 5440 or fight? No, sir. Oh. Uh, the, answer, the answer I'm looking for is um, <laughs> uh, Henry Tippecanoe and Tyler to Rudia. Oh. There we go. Referencing, of course, the well-known fact that William Henry Harrison participated in the Battle of Tippecanoe. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I guess his vice president was Tyler? Yes. To steal a point, to steal the point back, Smith, can you tell me what the percentage of turnout in that election was? Percentage of victory or total turnout? Voter turnout. Remembering, of course, no. that we had extraordinarily racist voting laws at the time. <laughs> um, 92%. 80. Uh, 80. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Uh, right, right, right. Asterix is caveat. Yes, yes. You, <laughs> you know, women and black people not allowed to vote. But it, it was a side, a side issue. <laughs> uh, you know, we kill a man for 80% these days. Woof. Uh, all right, folks. Uh, put on your... Lucky Grayson Rodriguez hats. Let's do this. Turn your eyes at the dawn. Gandalf will come from the west. <laughs> In a city connect east, cloak. East, east. 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 At the dawn of the fourth Talk to you day. Next week. Okay. Baltimoreans.